0: Second letter to the Church of the Thessalonians. May God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Your faith is growing more and more, despite your hardships and suffering. God uses this persecution to develop us. But judgment will come for those who abuse you. The end is coming, but it will not come until the Antichrist is first revealed. He will exalt himself over. Everything proclaim himself to be God. Many will follow him, but will be lost forever because of it. The day is coming for the glorious appearing of the Lord Jesus, and we will come with him from heaven with his powerful angels. Jesus will overthrow the Antichrist with just a word spoken, and he will reign over all creation in triumph. God has chosen you to be saved by the work of his Spirit, And by your faith, may you continue to be faithful to the Lord and walk in obedience to Him so that the Lord Jesus may be glorified in and through your life. Until that day, we will all be together with our Lord.
1: This week, we had another school shooting, this one closer to home. Not even an hour away from here in Santa Fe and the last I've heard, there were nine students killed, one teacher, ten more students wounded. There may be other stats that I don't have. And I'm going to ask us to pray for all of these that were involved in this shooting. Let's bow together for prayer. Father, we come to you. Oh God, our heart is so broken for these parents who've lost a child, a senseless killing yet again. For this teacher and all of that family and for all the families that were affected, not just for those students who lost their lives, but those who were wounded. And Father, for the trauma that has happened to this whole city And for this whole student body, oh God, we pray that you would be with them today. We pray, Father, as so many pastors are reaching out and trying to help and so many Christians are reaching out their hands of help and hope, God bless this city and this school and the school district and the superintendent and principal and all of the teachers that are there, God, just reach out and care for them and be there for them. Father, for this young man, we ask that you would, Father, bring him to an understanding of what he has done and a brokenheartedness and bring him into a relationship with you. Oh God, we ask that these shootings, these killings would end. God, we pray that you would heal our land. Thank you, Lord, for the police officers that responded yet again at a time of crisis be with them and their families. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. This week, I I went online to see what some of the last words were of very famous people. Right before... They, they passed away, and I came across some of these. George Washington, our first president, he, these were his last words. He said, I die hard, but am not afraid to go. Now, for those of you who are historians, you know that at the very end of President Washington's life, that he had a serious illness, and he was in a great amount of pain. But those who were attending him, the, uh, the art of, uh, of uh, f- physician uh, care in that day was not as strong and they did not know how to fix him and all of the remedies that they were using were actually making the problem worse and bringing him closer and closer to death. They, they unwittingly did this. They, they wanted to help him, but he was in terrible, terrible pain. And this is what he meant when he said, I die hard, but I am not afraid to go. John Quincy Adams, the sixth president, these were his last words. This is the last of earth. I am content. Andrew Jackson, the seventh president, said, Oh, do not cry, children. We will all meet in heaven. James Polk is a president that very few people would recognize his name. James Polk, president? Seriously? I never heard of him. James Polk was the 11th president. And he said to his wife, who was right there by his deathbed, he said to his wife, I love you, Sarah. For all eternity, I love you. A president who was romantic all the way to the last second. Woodrow Wilson, the 28th president, three words, I am ready, and then he died. By the way, Uh, President Wilson was a pastor's kid. These pastor's kids, they're great kids. He was a pastor's kid. And not only was his dad a pastor, his grandfather was a pastor. And not just that, his wife had several pastors in her background. He was a deeply committed follower of Jesus Christ. In fact, all these presidents I've mentioned here, all of these guys professed Jesus Christ as their Savior. And then Thomas Edison, you remember Thomas Edison, the great inventor? These were his last words, and then he died. He said this, oh, it is very beautiful over here. And then he died. I wonder what he was talking about. And then, i gotta, I got to mention this one, King Charles of France, 1380, he only said two words, hello, Jesus. <laughs> yes, that's what he said, hello, Jesus, and then he died. Isn't that cool? That's how, that's how I want to go right there, hello, Jesus, and then go right into his arms. We're, we've come to the end of our study going through the book of 2 Thessalonians together, and uh, it, it is all about last words. But did you know it's, it's not just last words have to be dying words. There are a lot of times in which we give last words. Let me give you an example. When my two sons were in college and they'd come home for the weekend and, and you know, we'd have a great time with them. And then on Sunday afternoon, they'd pack everything up and back to college they would go. We had the same routine that we did with both of our sons when they left to go to college. We would all gather around their their car and we would hug them and we're going to miss you so much. And then I would always take them by the hand because they're becoming men now. I'd take them by the hand, shake their hand, and I'd hold their hand and I would say, Now I want you to remember that you are a Christian. And I want you to live for Jesus Christ. I want you to bring honor to Jesus Christ while you're in college. And I want you to remember who you are. And I also want you to remember that you're a Hartman, And that means something. That you are a man of character and integrity and that you work hard. And that you will remember that your mom and I love you with all of our heart. And we'll be praying for you every day when you're gone. Now, not one time, because they were too respectful, did they roll their eyes at me while I was saying it to them. But I sort of suspected, you know, they're probably rolling their eyes in their heart. (laughs) Come on, Dad, not again. I went through the same thing. But I just, I wanted them to hear those were the last words when they left. Paul is in essence doing the very same thing in 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians, to the best we know, this is the last words he ever writes to these people, his friends, in Thessalonica, this church. He does go back and see them one more time, but he, he never writes to them again at least the best we know. And so he is ending 2 Thessalonians and sort of putting together what would you say if you were going to say the last words to somebody else. Well, now we have what he is he he wanted to say as the last words to these his friends in this church. Off oh, Of 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians were about the second coming of Christ, and we've been through some heavy waters with uh, with 2 Thessalonians, and now that he has finished all of this, he wants to give them three key principles of living their life, and I want us to look at these three principles this morning. The first principle is simply this, stand firmly connected in God's Word no matter what. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 15, notice what he says. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the teachings we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. All of the things he had taught them when he was with them the first time was all about the teachings of the Old Testament. That's what he's referring to with the Word of God. And now he's written two books of the New Testament to them, First and Second Thessalonians, grab hold of God's Word. Stand strong in God's word no matter what happens to you. In the first century of the Roman Empire, when we would look at what they would be teaching their children as far as morality, we would look at them as being barbaric. In first century, the the moral principles that the Roman culture had, we would look upon as being horrific. And for a person in first century to come to faith in Christ, to receive Jesus as Savior and yield themselves to Him meant that they had to pretty much denounce all of the morals that they had learned growing up as kids and take on brand new morals that would be totally contrary to anything they understood before, those morals of Jesus Christ, those teachings of Christ but they were coming by the tens of thousands. Why? Because the whole power of the resurrection, because of the power of the words of Jesus Christ and of Paul were so compelling in their heart that they were giving their heart to Jesus Christ. And over the next few hundred years, the most amazing transformation would happen in this the greatest empire at least at that time in the world, the Roman Empire, 75 million people, almost half of them by the end of uh, by the end of the 3rd century had come to faith in Jesus Christ. Almost half all persuaded one after another after another. They saw the lives of Christians. They wanted to live that kind of lifestyle. They heard the claims of Christ, and they received them into their heart. Now I think about America, and actually, if you think about it, it's totally reversed. For the first 450 years of this country, we have been immersed in the Word of God in this country, all the way back to Jamestown in Virginia, all the way to, to the pilgrims in Massachusetts. We, we have been immersed, in, and all these people coming to this country, we've been immersed in the Bible, in the truths of Christianity, in the Word of God, and our culture is immersed with it. Our culture has been so deeply impacted by the Bible. I mean, if you think about it, the whole idea of forgiving someone Who has wronged you? That is a Christian concept. That is a Judeo-Christian value. Uh, The whole idea of loving your enemies, the whole idea of giving to the poor, of giving to the disadvantage, of helping people that are in need, all of these are Christian ideas that were not shared in other religions until they were impacted by Christianity. All of this is just normal every day of what it's like in the United States. In fact, no country in the history of humanity has ever done more to help more people who are not part of it than this country has. Why? Because this country has been so immersed in Scripture, so immersed in the Word of God. And then, in the 1960s, something began to change. It was a, it was a, a, a maybe group of in media or uh, academia or uh, movies and those kinds of things. There began to be a turn, a a deliberate attempt to dislodge, di- dislodge the whole idea of the Bible with Christians, to begin to diminish the Word of God, begin to to change the morals, especially those morals that relate to sexuality, to change these and to pull Christians out of living that kind of lifestyle according to what God's Word teaches. And now over the last 50 years, there is one attack against the Bible after another and after another. The Bible is the target with more and more of those that are in, in media more and more becoming atheists and the more and more in academia that are atheists, the target is to undermine the Bible, the, the Word of God. Why? Because if you can separate Christianity from the Bible, from actually taking seriously what the Bible teaches about morality, if you can separate Christianity from the Bible, you can destroy Christianity. That is exactly what happened in Europe. That is exactly what happened in England. It's what happened in Europe. And that the attempt now, full court press for the last 50 years. And the truth is, it's working. Yesterday I read an article. I already knew what I was going to say. I guess I just couldn't resist myself. I just wanted to see. It. I knew what I was going to say because the title of it is 21 famous people in history who never existed. So I went through it. And of course, it has to include Paul and Jesus. And when I got through that, I, I struggle with that so much because the truth is there is not one credible scholar, even total atheists, who would say that there was no such thing as Jesus of Nazareth because everyone knows that there is, and the Apostle Paul. There is too much evidence that is non-biblical, that is not connected to Scripture of the existence of Jesus and Paul, that they're not deniable. And here is this author, and he is saying this stuff. Why? Because here's the truth. He, he, I thought either this guy is ignorant or this guy is a, is a deceiver, but it still serves the purpose. Keep undermining Scripture. Keep undermining the Bible in the hearts of people so that you can dislodge the Scripture and the ability to trust it from the heart of the Christian, and then you'll destroy Christianity. So what's happened? Well... There was a Gallup poll, and in the Gallup poll, over 70% of Americans said they read the Bible at least occasionally. Well, yay, God, for that. I wish it was 100%, but at least it's 70%, but it's the next statement. However, when those Americans were asked upon what criteria they decide the issues of their life, 93% of them, 93% of them, said that they base their decisions on their own experience and not the Bible. Christians, Christians, when school-aged children and teenagers were asked what they use to make decisions, only 16% say that they make moral judgments based on what the Bible says. You want to know what's wrong with Christianity in America? There is, that's all you need right there. It is the accomplishment of 50 years of trying to undermine Scripture and its value in the hearts and lives of people who profess Jesus Christ as Savior. And we're raising up this new generation that is coming up. You ask anybody, this new generation is coming up right now will be the most detached generation to the Bible in the history of this country. And most of them are biblically ignorant because they're Christians who, their parents who profess Christ, have not discipled their own children, taught their own children the Word of God, and they're raising up totally ignorant of God's Word. And what we're seeing with all these shootings everywhere by kids and all that sort of thing are, are a group of people that are growing up with no moral compass at all. No moral compass at all. I want to remind you, Proverbs 30, verse 5 and 6 says, Every word of God is flawless. God is a shield of those who take refuge in Him. Do not add to His words or He'll rebuke you and prove you a liar. Remember what Jesus said when He was praying to His Father there before He was crucified. He said, Sanctify them by thy truth. Your word is truth. How is it? The word sanctified means to be changed. On the inside, life changing Christ, the word sanctified means to be changed. How is it that we're changed? We're changed by the Word of God. If we allow the Word of God to penetrate our heart and now we make the decisions about morality, we make the decisions about what we will do with our life and how we will be, our marriage and our our finances, that He will turn all of that For good in our life. He will help us, he'll guide us, he'll lead us. That's what Jesus is saying. Your word is truth. The Bible will never lead you down the wrong path. Listen to what Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All scripture, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Now, what in the world does that mean? Well, someone putting that in our own vernacular said it this way. The Bible will show you the right way to go. That's what Paul was saying. The Bible will show you the right way to go. It will tell you where you got off track, how you can get back on track, and how you can stay on track, how you can keep going in the right direction. God's Word will do this for you if you will open your heart and let it do it for you. In fact, here's the truth. This book... This book can show you how to have a successful marriage, how to handle your finances well, how to be successful in any aspect of your life if you will open the Bible and you will read it and you will listen to it and you will do what it says. So here's my challenge to you. In your notes, I have I put in there, I want to recommend a Bible app for you. It's a great Bible app. I use it all the time. iBible is the app. iBible. And the cool thing is you can read the Bible on iBible with whatever, whatever translation you like. You can read it or you can listen to it, read the Bible to you. And I'm going to tell you some of these are, they do it like in drama. And so you are, you are like hearing the sea of, waves crash in and the birds and all that. <laughs> it's great. I love listening to it. And there is almost, there's almost never a day. There is almost never a day that I don't... That's, that's a double negative. Almost every day I either read or listen to iBible. Almost every single day of my life. I'm Okay, I'm driving to work. I'm listening to it. I'm driving home. I'm going to the hospitals. I'm going somewhere. I listen to iBible. I love it, and I'm going to tell you, I've been through the Bible many times, but every time I listen to it, I think, oh, I never heard that before. I did not understand that, and there are times in which I'm struggling with some issue, and I, there I am. I'm reading, I, right, listening to iBible read to me, and oh, wow, I've never seen that. That's what I needed, and here's what I'm saying. If you will let the Bible speak to you, if you'll begin listening to it, The Bible was actually written to be spoken out loud. And if you will listen to it, it's amazing what you will learn from God's Word. And so here's my challenge to you. I'm making a challenge to everybody in the room. I'm challenging you to join me in the next 100 days, about, starting today all the way to August 31. And you can count them up. I don't know how many there are, but it's about. In the next... Yes. In the next... 100 days to read through the New Testament with me and get iBible and let and let it read it to you if you want to do that cuz it's got those kinds of plans and that kind of thing. You don't read that much every day and you'll have finished the whole New Testament. Would you do it? Would you do it with me? Come on, let's read through the New Testament all the way through the summer, come on, give you a project to do, and all the while you're either listening to it or you're reading it, you're saying, God, talk to me. And you know what God will do? If you will hear His Word and you will obey it. Take it seriously. He will teach you how to build relationships in your life. He will teach you how to treat other people in your life, how to finally forgive whoever it is you're struggling to forgive. How to live with intentionality with acts of love and kindness toward God and others. He will show you in His Word. So why don't you open your heart to His Word? I'm going to tell you something. If Jesus Christ were standing on this platform in bodily form right now in front of us, you know what He'd say to us? He would say to us, grab hold of the Word of God and hold on to it with all your heart no matter what happens. Number two, final words. Paul says, pray for opportunities for Christ to be known. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored just as it was with you. You remember when I was there and you accepted Christ? Pray that the gospel continue to impact the lives of other people. Pray, he says and pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. For not everyone has faith, but the Lord is faithful, and He will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. You can tell a lot about yourself and anyone, anyone else by what they pray for. A true story about a guy who every single day would go to Starbucks, and he would buy a cup of coffee. And he would sit there at a table at Starbucks and he would pray. The whole time he's drinking the cup of coffee, he would be praying, pouring out his heart to God. All the problems, all the struggles, all the questions, not knowing exactly what to do, he would pour his heart out to God in prayer. Every single morning at Starbucks, buying coffee that's way overpriced. And he would sit there and he would pour his heart out to God. So, one day... He said, one day as I'm pouring, there's everything good about pouring your heart out to God. Everything good about it and nothing wrong. But he said, one day as I'm pouring out my heart to God and praying to Him, all of a sudden I heard God say to me, it wasn't an audible voice, it was in His heart, okay, but when have you ever asked me what's on my heart? What? Okay, pour your heart out to me. I want you to do that. I love you. I care about you. But when have you ever asked me what's on my heart? Well, this guy took this seriously. He he just began to say, God, would you show me... What is on your heart? And as time went by, as he was asking that question, the most amazing thing began to happen in him. He began to build a deep burden in his heart for people he worked for that were not saved because God was showing him, what's on my heart are these individuals that you work with and people that are in your family that don't know me and people that live in your neighborhood that don't know me. And he said his whole life, his whole prayer began to change and he began to, instead of being only me Focused in his prayers, he began to care about somebody else and pray for somebody else. And God began to bring different individuals to his heart. He said the craziest thing happened. He started praying for people in India that he would never see, and in El Salvador, and in Africa. And he said the most amazing thing happened. He said, I still poured out my heart to God, but I began to let God pour his heart out to me, and I began to discover God has a deep heart for people who don't know him to come to know him. And I'm asking you, have you ever done this? Have you ever opened up your heart to God and said to God, God, I am willing to open my heart up to your heart. What do you care about? Can I tell you what will happen? This is what this guy said. He said, the more we pray for others, the more we are actually changed. The more we are actually changed. The more we pray for others, the more we are actually changed. It's what happened to him. And I, This is what Paul is saying to do. Would you pray? Pray for people you'll never meet. Pray for people that I'm going to share the gospel with. Pray that they would be open to the gospel just like you were. That's what he's saying. And as we begin to pray for people that don't know Christ, what will happen is is that God will begin to dislodge our tongue. And we will begin to be willing to say, Hey, would you like to go to church with me? I'd love to invite you to my church. And we'll become more open, more free to invite people to church. We have an event called Lunch with the Pastors here Not every month, but almost, and every time we have it, I always ask everybody, I walk around, meet people, and I always ask everybody, how did you first find out about Sugar Creek? And the overwhelming majority, it's not everybody, but the overwhelming majority is one of your members, and they'll name you, they'll name the person. One of your members invited me, and I just stand there so proud of you, I just don't know what to do. So proud of you. I'm so proud of you. You're not just about you. You care about others coming to know Christ and you're inviting people to come to church and may your tribe increase. And what will happen then, What as we're praying, all of a sudden we will start feeling the need to share Jesus with somebody else and maybe you say, oh, not me, I'm never doing that. I'm never putting myself in that position. But I got to tell you, we train you You'll see it in the worship guide, not every month, but the next one is at the end of, of, of June. Gospel conversation training, and it's so easy, three circles. We teach you, you know how to draw three circles. If you know how to draw three circles, you'll know how to share your faith with somebody else. I promise you it'll be that easy. You will learn how to share your faith so simply and so powerfully, and you'll have what to say. Gospel conversation training. Bottom line is this, let God use you. Let God use you for Christ to become known in your world and in our world so Jesus can be known. This is the second thing he says. Here's the third thing he says. He says, engage your world by being level-headed and responsible. Now that makes sense to us, but what he says is going to be a little bit of a surprise. Get ready. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6, look what it says. And now, dear brothers and sisters, we give you this command in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Stay away from all believers. What? Stay away from all believers, stay away from all Christians who live idle lives and don't follow the tradition they receive from us. Now stop right there. You see that word idol? Over top of the word idol, write the word lazy, because that's what it means. You know all these lazy Christians? Don't have anything to do with them. That's what he's saying. Whoa. 4, verse 7 For you know that you ought to imitate us. We were not idle, we were not lazy. When we were with you, we never accepted food from anyone without paying for it. We worked hard day and night so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We certainly had the right to ask you to feed us, but we wanted to give you an example to follow. Even while we were with you, we gave you this command. Get ready. Those unwilling to work will not get to eat. Can you believe that this is in the Bible? We did not see this one coming, did we? Those unwilling to work will not get to eat. Yet, we hear that some of you are living, idle means lazy. Some of you are living, living lazy lives, refusing to work and meddling in other people's business. Okay, pastor, that's it. I wish I would not have come to church today. If you're going to talk about people that meddle, I love to meddle in everybody's business. I've got an opinion about every human being that I've ever met. I'm meddling all I can. I wish I wouldn't have come to church today. Well, I'm sorry, you are here and he is talking about you. <laughs> Those of you who are meddling in other people's business, whoa, we command such people and urge them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down. <laughs> oh, it's pretty stern. Look at it. To settle down and work to earn your own living. Whoa. What is this about? This is my guess. It's just my guess. I could be wrong, but I think it's right. It's just my guess. I think he's taught them so much about the return of Christ, the second coming of Jesus, and now both books that he writes them are about the second coming of Christ, that some of these, he hears some of these, some of these are saying, you know what? Jesus is coming back soon. I don't think I'm going to go to work. Why should I go to work? He's going to be back here in no time. And I'll eat my neighbor's food. Why should I work? Over the last 200 years in this country, how many preachers have stood up here's about the second coming of Christ and I'm setting a date. And he gathers a whole group of people. He sets a date. Here comes the, the, the return of Jesus on this day. And they all go up on a mountain. I don't understand why. Why do they all go up on mountains? They all have to go up on a mountain. Is it because Jesus can't get you if you're at sea level? you got to give him boost. Here's a boost here. We're just way up here. Get us quick. I don't know why the mountain. I've never gotten the mountain. They go up on a mountain and wait for the, and then he doesn't come. And then what does a guy do? He says, well, okay, yeah, I got that one little thing wrong. Now I got a new date and he picks another date. Remember, any, any time anybody on the radio, on television, out on a platform, anything gives you a date, run. <laughs> run. Remember David Koresh in Waco? Jim Jones? I don't know how many of you go back that far one guy after another. How many people have to do this before we we wise up? They give you a date, you leave them because this is a quack, a charlatan. We don't know when Jesus is coming back, not one of us. We're going to live every day as though he's coming back now. He's coming today. That's the way we're supposed to live. I appreciate that amen wherever it came from. I love people talking back to me. (laughs) Billy Graham said it this way. If you knew for absolute assurance that Jesus was coming back in the next 12 months, what would you do differently? And Billy Graham said this, I'd do absolutely nothing different. I wouldn't quit my job. I wouldn't quit school if I was in school. I would do what I'm doing right now. I would live for Christ and be a witness to everyone around me as much as I could. I love that answer. So here is what he's saying, and grab hold of it first. Live your life with personal responsibility. And here's the idea. Stand on your own two feet and work hard. Be personally responsible in your life. Ephesians 6, 6 and 7, work hard, but not just to please your bosses when they're watching you. The boss isn't anywhere around, but I'm going to work just as hard as servants of Christ, do the will of God with all your heart. Work with enthusiasm as though you were working for the Lord and not for people. Stand on your own two feet. Number two, requires require others in your life to do the same. You have influence over your kids, over others. This is what Paul is doing, 2 Thessalonians 3.12. We command such people and urge them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, would you settle down and work? To earn your own living. Now Paul is not talking about people who cannot work. He is not talking about people who cannot work. He's not talking about people who are disabled. He's not talking about people who have a terrible disease and they cannot work. He is not talking about people who are without a job and they're working they're trying so hard to get a job. He's not talking about them. He is talking about people who can work but won't work can work, but won't work. I'll let somebody else take care of me. And here's what 2 Thessalonians 3.10 says, those unwilling to work, unwilling, unwilling, those unwilling to work won't get to eat. Tough love, because it'll only take a few days and they will then go to work. And that's the idea. Now the same Bible that says this to us, the same Bible that says this to us also tells us that we ought to care for those who are poor and hurting and struggling, that we ought to love them and give to them and meet their needs. The same Bible that says what Paul just says also tells us that we are to give to others in need. Proverbs 14.31, those who oppress the poor insult their maker, but helping the poor honors him. Proverbs 19, 17, if you help the poor, you are lending to the Lord. He will repay you. We are to help people in need. I think of I think of single moms and single dads. I think of people that are in such hard straits and they're working two jobs. They still can't make ends meet. We should be there for them. We should help them. We want to be a part of, of your life. We want to help take care of you. Helping people who do work, but they can't make ends meet or they can't find the job, helping them is part of what Christians do, helping the poor. But we need to be discerning, so listen to this illustration real fast. I was at the, I was a, a co-pastor at First Baptist Church of Houston with Bassanio and, and I had a variety of jobs, preached a lot and, and taught Bible studies and, and led the staff and that sort of thing. And one of the jobs that I had was to teach what was called the downtown Bible study. We had about four or 500 that were at that Bible study every Wednesday, downtown Houston. And it was great. Just We packed out the room, and it was fantastic. I loved it. One day, somebody brought in a guy on a wheelchair. He was a beggar out in front of the building. Yay, I'm glad you brought them in. And I introduced him to me, and I, and I said to him, you're never going to have to pay for lunch here. I will will take care of that. And he came every Wednesday. I took care of his lunch. Every Wednesday. And uh, Wednesday, month after month after month. And then one day he came to me and he said, uh, hey, preacher, this is my last Wednesday because I'm moving. You're moving. And... I said, where are you moving? He said, I'm moving to Chicago. You're moving to Chicago? I mean, I don't know how. I couldn't get it put together. I said, how na- naive I am. Uh, how does a beggar in Houston move to Chicago? I don't know how you do that. Be, I'm moving to Chicago. And I said, why are you moving to Chicago? Because, he said, my brother lives in Chicago. He begs on the streets in Chicago. And he outpaced me financially last year, left me in the dust, and he said, uh, uh, I can't take anymore. I got to move to Chicago. I, I didn't understand this whole conversation. I am very, very naive. So I said, okay, I, how much did you make last year? $60,000. 25 years ago, no taxes. How much is that? $60,000 25 years ago, no taxes. How much money is that in real dollars? And you're leaving? Yes, because my brother made over 75,000 last year. No taxes. And he said, "Preacher, no offense, but I got to go where the money is." <laughs> no, I'm am I'm, I'm just flabbergasted. I get in my car, I'm driving back to the church and I and I'm realizing, I paid for this guy's lunch for months now. <laughs> so, help people in need with discernment. <laughs> okay? Because there are people in need. There are people who are poor. There are people who are doing their best. They're working as hard as they can. They've got two jobs they still can't make ends meet. Help people, it's part of what it means to be a Christian but with discernment. And stay out of other people's business. Yet we hear that some of you are meddling in other people's business. Stop it. Mind your own business. Quit trying to tell everybody in the world how to live their lives. The second one is this, we're almost done, stay level-headed about the subject of the second coming. There's two extremes, I'm not going to have anything to do with it, I don't understand the second coming. Or the other extreme, all I care about is the second coming, I'm just a second coming junkie. Neither one of them is balanced or right. Don't go crazy about the subject of the second coming, let it be one of the topics that you learn but don't get it out of balance, learn, there's so much about the Christian life to be learned. And let this subject about the second coming do what it was supposed to do, purify your heart. Listen to what he says. Dear friends, we are already God's children, but he has not yet shown us what we'll be like when Christ appears. But we do know that we will be like him, for we will see him as he really is. And all who have this eager expectation will keep themselves pure, just as he is pure. So whether he comes today or we go to him, every day we live every day, we live every day as though this is the day I'll see Jesus. Now, there are some of you, God, speak into your heart to give your heart to Christ. Would you give your heart to the Lord today? Come and know Christ. In just a moment, right through the center doors, across the short foyer, there's a room called Next Step Center. Give your heart to the Lord. There are some of you, God speaking in your heart. You know Him as Savior. This is your church. Come and join this church right through the center doors and across the short foyer, Next Step Center. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today. We say thank you for your word. Now, Father, burn it into our hearts. Help us in these final words, last words that Paul spoke to them to be spoken also to us, that we might live them out and honor you with our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name.